Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about printing. We're talking to a representative from Panda Game Manufacturers, Mr. Brent Kenny. Brent, really appreciate you being on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Now, Brent, can I give me a background on you and Panda? Give me like the, the quick synopsis of your company and then kind of how you got involved with them. Yeah, so Panda Games Manufacturing is going into its tenth uh, year in business. So this is our ten year anniversary in 2017. Uh, it started uh, back in 2007 with our um, founder and CEO Michael Lee. He had some connections in China, and and uh, his father did some business over there. So he went along uh, on the trip one year and and realized that um, he could. He could uh, help people make board games, and he just put out a, a post on Board Game Geek and said, "Hey, I'm in China. I'm looking into doing some printing things. If anybody uh, needs any help, let me know." And um, one creator reached out to him. So in that first year, he made one board game, and since then, it's grown. He brought on his brother Richard Lee uh, as his first business partner and as our COO uh, at the company, and. Um, now, you know, 10 years down the road, we, we own our own uh, printing facility in Shenzhen, China. Everything happens uh, there from the printing and the quality assurance uh, standpoints. And then we have a, a team of uh, almost two dozen people in North America and in, in uh, a couple in Europe as well. So basically, Panda is a full service uh game printer, game manufacturer, and we make a lot of the a lot of the titles that you probably have on, on your shelf right there. If you want to know if it's a panda game, just flip it over, take a look at the uh, barcode, and if there's a cute little panda bear on the, the barcode, it's one of ours. Now, what are some of the companies you guys work with, just to kind of give listeners an idea? Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's 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 great that you asked because I was I was listening to your, your prior podcast and a lot of the people that you talked to have been people that we dealt with you know uh, red raven ryan lockett who you talked to on the show uh we we make a lot of his games jerry hawthorne is the designer of mice and mystics we print mice and mystics for plaid hat games and do do titles for them uh you talk with jr honeycutt about game de- game design and development and jr works for artana and we do a lot of artana's games as well you know tasty minstrel is another another company that we we do a lot of work with so we we work with uh, companies of all sizes. I mean, from the the independent Kickstarter creators to you know the the big guys, uh, and and all points in between. Gotcha. Now, give me a, just a background on you. Like, how did you get involved with with Panda? Now, I'm looking at the screen. You you're not in China right now, so you're working remotely. So right. just kind of give me give me that quick background. Yeah. So for me personally, uh, I've I've always been a gamer. It's always been something I'm passionate about, and and in fact, that's. That's really the tie that binds everybody on our team. Uh, we all have different backgrounds from consulting to finance to theology to, to law. But the one thing that ties everybody together is we're all passionate gamers and we are all going into this business through, through that lens. Um, so for me personally, I was in, I was in finance. I, I worked in corporate finance and then in personal finance for a little while. And I was looking for a change from that. It's hard. To, sometimes it's hard to get wins in the finance world when you're making people money. It's not right. enough. You're not making them money. Uh, they're not happy about it. So I was looking for a change, and um, Panda had a posting on Board Game Geek 
that listed uh, availability for an account manager position. And looking through that job description, I went through and said, I could do that, I can do that, I could do that. Seems like a good fit. Uh, applied, went through the interview process, and and you know, about five years later, I'm uh, uh, I'm still here and 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 making games with Panda. So it's been a really really great fit. Awesome. And what exactly is your like job title? So my title is. Uh, vice president of business development. So basically, that means um, I oversee our our sales team and our marketing team, and um, take care of our, our outgoing sales um, activities, uh, as well as I, you know, I do some project management and account management myself. We're still a small team, so we all all still wear a lot of hats. We're going through a round of hiring right now, so I do a little HR as well. But but yeah, my general general workflow is on the the sales side awesome well man i really appreciate you you coming on the show and, and let's just start talking about the process of of printing right so if if i've got a game you know obviously i don't want to sit down and make it myself and so i want to go to a company like you guys what does that process look like kind of the the thirty thousand foot view and then we'll jump into more of the detailed in a minute yeah, so I think that's one thing that a lot of people probably take for granted when they're playing a game that's on their table is just how much time and how much effort and work and, and people's individual effort goes into making that game. You know, you've got a designer that, that comes up with the rules, you've got a publisher who signs it on, isn't in charge of the marketing, you've got art people that are working through all the art, you've got a printer that's working. So when that game ends up on someone's table, Literally hundreds of people have been involved to to make it. Right. Um, as far as you know, the thirty thousand foot view of of what to start with with when making a game would be to to reach out to to a printer and and uh, share your specs for your game. So um, you know, either you reach out through email and send over what your your specs for your game are going to be, or you know, on our website we have a quote request form where you can just go through the drop down boxes and choose choose what your game's going to look like and and get a quote for that. You know, whether your game's going to have a box and 54 cards and a board and, and dice or whatever it is, um, getting getting a good feel for, you know, is this project viable? Is it coming in at a price point that I want? You know, because uh, from a game design standpoint, and a lot of the people uh, that have been on your, your podcast could probably test for this, for any particular game, you can design it in 5, 10, 15 different ways based on what components are in the box. So really, you know, coming up with your idea, and if you're an independent creator, you know, looking at different ways to make that game and, and really looking into your, your market and how you want to get, get the game out there. But, but starting talking with a printer and, and seeing where that price point come in, comes in is a, is a good place to start. And now, just in your opinion, when should somebody reach out to a printer and get a quote? Like at what point in the design, obviously not when it's living in your notebook, but once you've done some playtesting, you've started figuring things out, what's a good time period to, to, to ask for that quote? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the, the quick answer I would say is the earlier, the better. But you touched on it there perfectly. You know, it's better when the game is in a pretty good form or pretty close to the final form that you think it will be. If there's still a lot of moving parts, if there was, if there's still a lot of things that are, are uh, up for change, then you may want to hold off a little bit. But when you get to the place in your play tests and in your development where you think, all right, this thing's, this thing's humming, this thing's coming along, this is, this is pretty much what it's going to be, that's a good time to, to reach out and start looking at the, the print quotes for that. 
Yeah. And just kind of from personal experience, you know, I've gone through you guys' quote process. This is a while back. It's like two or three years ago when I was just kind of basically screwing around, just trying to figure things out. And the quote process, it's not a short process. Like every little thing about the game is detailed, like how thick components are, you know, the box sizes, card sets, all those different things. And so just anybody who's listening to this, maybe you want to go in there early and understand what the printer needs and then you can start brainstorming and thinking about it. Now, Brent, when they do go through the quote process, how long does it take to get that quote back? Yeah, so the, the quote process usually takes about uh, one to two weeks to get a quote back. And that all depends on the, the complexity of the project. You know, if it has uh, custom pieces, it, it might take a little bit longer to get the pricing on that than if it's just a straight ahead, you know, uh, deck of cards in a tuck box type of thing. But usually the, the turnaround is about one to two weeks. And uh, the reason it takes a little bit longer is that when, you know, when we personally send out our quote, it's it's in the form of a contract. Yeah. So if everything looks good and everything is is the way that you want it, you can sign on and 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 get get on board for that project right there. So it's not a, a, a situation where somebody will submit for the quote and will say, oh, it, you know, it'll cost you between six and eight dollars for this game and just ballpark it. We're going to give you a, a, a quote that has the different quantities that you asked for and is a ready-to-roll contract at that point. Now, is that one of those things where I get a guaranteed price for a certain amount of time? Yeah. So there is uh, – we, we put an expiration date on our quotes. Uh, usually it's a 30-day window just because we don't want someone to come back You know, five years right. five years from now. Like you said, you were, you were towing around four years four years ago. You might come, come up with this quote and say, hey, you know, I want to make yeah. this game now uh, just because – Things change, right? The the cost of materials and the and the scope of projects and and there's a lot of things that change there, and we don't want to leave ourselves open to to something that would be detrimental for both us and the client. Yeah. Um, so quotes are usually good for 30 days. We have a 30 day window on those those uh, contracts. That said, um, I know in the day of in this day of Kickstarter, you have your Kickstarter that runs for 30 or 40 days, and then you're getting things around, and then you may sign on for the project. Usually, if it's very close within that window, we honor the quote because a lot of things, you know, in that that short of amount of time, it doesn't change that much. Right. Now, any kind of advice on how to make the quote process quick and easy? So make it easy on your end, make it easy on the designer end. What advice? Uh, biggest advice is is use the quote form. And like you said, get get familiar with the quote form. Just take a look at it and see what's what's available there because a lot of people aren't aren't acclimated to to the just the nomenclature and the, and, the, and the naming convention for you know 400 gs gsm c2s cardboard or or the the different things that are going on there so you know getting getting familiar with what those things are and figuring out you know what you want in the process uh, is going to be going to be very helpful again having a pretty clear idea of what you want for the game and submitting that from the get-go is also very helpful. And then, you know, there's a note section. If there's anything specific about your game or anything that you want to get across, uh, use that note section too and, and talk with your account manager to, to get that across because that's the biggest thing is we, we want to know about these games too because when we get a, a quote form across, it's just a listing of, of materials, right? It, it could just be a box, board, 54 cards, three dice, and, and wooden pieces. But, you know, we want to know what this game looks like. Maybe it's a maybe it's a sci-fi game, and you have wooden pieces in the in the um, in the specs. And we think, well, 
maybe maybe acrylic cubes would look better than than wooden cubes in that because it's got a sci-fi theme so you know that's something that we we really like to to use as a value added and consult with these these uh designers and and publishers because you know we're gamers too and we get excited about what's coming across so if i know this is an epic space game as opposed to this is quote you know 5302 that i've seen in the, the last week it's definitely lets us uh connect to it more and and um help out more with with the, the specs yeah, that's one thing I've heard so many people that have worked with you guys in the past talk about. They say, you know, Panda's great because they're more than just a printer. They really care. They really are there to help you. They're going to assign somebody to your case to kind of make sure that you don't do anything stupid, that you do something that, that works, that makes sense and all that. And so, man, I think I think it goes a long way with you guys specifically because you, you are right there saying, hey, have you thought about this? This might be a little bit better based on what's happening now in the industry. All right, so let's talk about timeline now when when you give somebody a quote do you also kind of give them an idea of how long it would take to produce a game to print to ship and all that good stuff or or when does the timeline come into play yeah so timelines are are huge (laughs) and timelines timelines vary right depending on the the project depending on the scope of, of what we're working on so in in that quote we'll usually have estimated timelines listed in the bottom in the in the terms and conditions and those will be based on you know what's being made in the game. So, if it's a simple tuck box and and cards type of project, it may take you know four to six weeks in mass production. Whereas if it's a big you know Stonemire type of scythe type game uh, that has custom pieces and plastics and things like that, it may take ten to sixteen weeks on the the longest end. Um, so there we give you um, sort of an idea of what the what the timeline is going to look like on that quote, but then also a lot of that ground is covered when you have your your kickoff call with your project manager, where you're going to go through the project uh, specs, check into everything, make sure everything is on a on a good level set, and you, we have a good understanding of what you want. Um, you have a good understanding of how we're going to operate, and then we talk about those timelines specifically because even outside of the mass production, just the printing, the the making the donuts, as it were. Um, there's a lot of other steps that go in the process that people don't always think of in the in the timelines, such as such as prepress. You know, uh, a, a lot of people think, all right, well, I submit my files and they're just going to go ahead and print those, and, and we're we're off to the races right away. But but that's not the case. Uh, we we go through a, a pretty rigorous prepress and and sampling phase um, because. You know, we feel like a little bit extra time up front checking those files, making sure things are looking good, uh, giving some extra checkpoints to the publisher to to look over their cards, look over their boards, look over the files, make sure that there's no typos, there's no uh, mistakes. Having a couple looks at those are really going to help us down the road in mass production. Uh, there's no no big showstoppers. So that pre-press phase is really important, and that's that's variable. You know, that that varies based on honestly, how good your files are in when they're submitted to us. So we have our file design guidelines on our, our website that graphic designers can download and, and uh, independent creators can download and use those to um, put their files in the best shape of having the least number of iterations going through prepress. So once, you know, once that prepress is done, then we're, then we're off to the races and, and manufacturing the games. But the, I guess that's a long answer to say, it really varies on the type of project, and you know we treat 
we treat each project uniquely because they are unique. They're their own thing. Um, so that's, you know, that's a conversation that has to be uh, had between the project manager and the, the, the content creator to, to really get the full timeline. Right. Now, as far as components and all the different aspects that go into a game, what all do you guys have to outsource that could affect the timeline? Because all of a sudden it's not waiting on you. Now you're waiting on somebody else as well. And how can how can that affect things? Right. So uh, there's definitely a lot of different pieces that go into the game. Uh, for us specifically, uh, we're, we're set up pretty, pretty uniquely and, and different from a, a lot of other printers is that we, first and foremost, we own our printing facility. So all of the printing, all of the things that would go on on paper, boards, cards, things like that, we do in-house. Also, all of our quality insurance, assurance and uh, quality control checks are done in-house. Uh, and we recently uh, brought our wood supplier in under us. So that's something that we control direct, directly as well. So the only other things that are not under our roof are plastics and other pre-made components like that, resin pieces, dice, things like that. And for that, we have very close working relationships with preferred suppliers that we've vetted, that we've worked with over the years that, um, that we know we can count on and that we have uh, a, good, a good line of communication and good relationship with. So, you know, it's the project manager's job to make sure that everybody's coordinated and gets the, the orders in and, and taken care of at the same time. But since we've, you know, built this network up over the last 10 years and really I've been in close contact with all of our, all of our suppliers, it's, it's rarely an, an issue that, you know, something gets lost along the way. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about kind of what you were just talking about a moment ago with the pre-press and talking about organizing files and all that. Is that something you find that, that people screw up a lot? It may be sending the files in the wrong format or it's just not oriented correctly or anything like that. And then I'm assuming that's the case. That's what I've heard. And so if that is the case, what's some of your advice on how to do that right the first time? Absolutely. Yeah. There, the pre-press stage is probably the biggest pain point uh, in the process uh, just because the the files have to be in a certain format for us to print them. Yeah. If they aren't in a certain format, they don't work on the machines and, the, and it can't go. So we've got to be sticklers about that process. Uh, the best thing that anybody can do to get their files ready, uh, whether it's with us or with any other printer, is to ask that printer about what their file specifications are. So for us in particular, we have a, uh, a file design guidebook that's posted on our website. Uh, we actually have a new one that'll be going up here pretty soon online um, that goes through all of the different uh, components that we print. You know, how much bleed does there have to be for, for wrapped boards? How do die cuts work? You know, if you're doing die cut um, punch boards, um, card card margins, the whole the whole thing. I mean, I'm saying these words and it sounds you know, probably Greek to most people because they're not graphic designers. And I, you know, I'm not always sure what I'm saying when it comes to the graphic design uh, standpoint. That's why I say go get the design guidebook and check into that and make sure um, make sure to follow those rules because it really is. It's just kind of a rules document where, you know, this is this needs to be this way. That needs to be that way. Uh, I do know that kind of the three big ones for all files are we want the files submit, submitted in, in PDF format. We want them to be in CMYK, not RGB. So a lot of computer monitors, or basically all computer monitors, are in RGB color. But we want the CMYK uh, profile used for the files because we print on a four-color press. And uh, the last one is, is 300 uh, DPI resolution for the files. 
there's there's a lot of other quirks and ins and outs, but if you hit those three big ones, then um, the rest usually fall in line pretty well. But I I can't stress enough uh, for our pre-press team. They are, they're always getting on me. Tell people get them the the file guidebook early. Get those guidebooks early. So. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is ask what those file, um, file requirements are and, and follow it as closely as possible. And, and the other thing to, to keep in mind is no one's files are perfect the first time we get them, uh, or, or very rarely that they are. So there is going to be a little bit of a back and forth, but if you follow those rules, if you use the guidelines, uh, it's going to be definitely a smoother, smoother process. Right. And I think this really speaks to something that's come up on the podcast before. And that's when you're choosing your graphic designer and your artist, make sure you find somebody who understands what a printer needs and the kind of files and the CMYK and all that. Just because your cousin Ray Ray can draw a little bit and he gives you a good deal doesn't mean that that's the guy you should hire. So try to find somebody that understands this process specifically for board games, because in your experience, how different is, you know, the board game uh, file system and organization and process? How's that different from maybe some other things? Yeah, it's 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 very different. Um, I mean, we've we've even had situations where people are working with with graphic designers that have been working in graphic design for years, but they work in in magazine print media or or um, you know website layout or or something that's different than than board game printing. And you know, the graphic designers say, "Well, I've done it like this before, and this is good, and this is standard, and this was." Well, it's not for board games, right? right? It's it's not for what we're doing. Um, so so yeah, I, I mean definitely definitely like keeping in the family, and it'd be great if cousin Ray Ray could do that. But <laughs> I can't stress enough yeah. that you know uh, hiring a graphic designer if you're not if you're not graphic design savvy or or have someone that can lay that out is really it's going to cost you a little bit more, but it's going to cost you a lot less headaches. To, yeah. to have someone help you out with that. And it's also probably cheaper in the long run because if you pay Cousin Ray Ray and he does a bad job and then you got to pay somebody else, well, now you've paid two people. So you've ended up spending more money than you would have in the beginning. Yeah, and then you got that awkward silence over Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner when everybody's saying what they're thankful for and Ray Ray's just kind of staring at you. So right. I think for everybody's benefit, it's probably, probably best to hire a, a graphic designer. Yeah, that's a great point. Now let's talk about kind of the proofing process, the back and forth. Uh, you know, one thing I've seen is the the big white version of a game where you get all the white components in the white box and all that. So I know that kind of plays into this. But let's talk about that that back and forth and also how the back and forth plays into the timeline and, and what can it can do. Because it's not like I send you an email today and then tomorrow it's fixed because you guys got a lot of projects going on at the same time. So how does the back and forth also play into the timeline? Yeah, so that, that back and forth definitely definitely plays into the, the timeline. And, you know, we have it. We have it laid out in our, our contracts and our timeline that the kind of the stopwatch doesn't start on the project until those files are in, in good shape and ready to be uploaded into to digital proofs. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, we can start that that the the pre press in earnest where we're making the that PPC copy like you were talking about with the the big white box, although we've changed our process so it's not a white copy anymore. It's actually fully printed. Oh, cool. Um which is which is really cool. Yeah. It's been a really good uh, advancement. But that starts um, at that at that point, right? And so so there is a little bit of a a, a time lag when when we're working uh, back and forth and going through an iterative process like that. People are in, in different time zones. Our factory is in uh, you know a complete other side of the world. Yep. Um, they're twelve hours different than us. 
what we've done to try to cut down on that is we've we've brought our, our pre-press and our, our file design team checks uh, on the North American side. So all the initial checks for files are done with our North American team. So we're on this, the, the same time zone. We're on the same continent as far as that goes. And, you know, we just have to check with the, the production facility for those final final uploads. So, you know, our goal is always to, you know, respond within 24 hours to any, any kind of uh, email or any kind of request that's coming through and keep everybody in the loop. And that's what we try to stick to. Yeah, now let's let's just kind of play hypothetical, just in just a random idea. So let's say the game is gone to press. You're, you guys are in the process of making it, and then all of a sudden I find a typo that needs to be addressed, and you're like halfway through the print run. What 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 do, what do you do? Like what's next? So in most cases, uh, that hypothetical won't won't happen, right? Okay. Because in in the process we make sure that there's uh, a couple of checkpoints uh, before we we reach that point of no return into going into mass production. So, so the checkpoints real quick are first, we'll upload a digital proof of the, of the game, which is basically all the files that are in your game are uploaded on the computer and you can check them there. So, um, and we know that sometimes it's easier to see things printed out than it is on the screen. So that's why we have another check. So when that digital proof is approved, then we'll make the pre-production copy. And that's when we're going to make one single copy of the game to send to that that project creator. And so at that point, that PPC is is the final check before we go into mass production. And, you know, we stress that that's the final check. That's the last time where we can make any changes either to the quantities of games that are being made or to any of the specs in the game, whether the pieces are changing or the art's changing or a typo's getting corrected. Or whatever it may be, so that uh, that designer will have a, a call with their project manager, and they'll go through a checklist, also to to say, all right, are all the colors good? Great. Okay, are all the pieces there? Great. You know, or, and it goes all the way through, so that it's another guide through to check to make sure everything is all right. So hopefully, like I said in that hypothetical, we never get there because there's a couple of checkpoints before that point. Um, before we go into mass production. Once we go into mass production, the printing plates are, are made, you know, the dies are cast, and, and the machines are rolling. So at that point, any changes are extremely, you know, time-consuming and extremely expensive yeah. to, that, to that client. So that's why we have those, those checkpoints ahead of time. There's one last check in the process, the MPC, where, or mass production copy, where the first game that comes off the, the, the print line gets sent to the, to the, um, to the client and they get to check it. And then it's the best part of the process, right? Because we've all been through all the labor pains and they finally get to see the baby. Right. So we do that check, uh, again, as just one more soft check. Like I said, at that point, there's nothing really that can change. The games are still being printed. They're still being put together at that point. But if there were something small, like say they forgot a rule, or like you said, there's a typo or, or something that needs to be added, you know, it's a lot easier for us to print up 1,500, 2,000 addendum pages and put them in the boxes rather than we just sent all these, you know, 2,000, 3,000 games to you and then you have to take care of it on your side. It's a lot easier for us to do assembly and, and take care of that uh, while they're in the factory. So, 
So I know I skirted your hypothetical a little bit, but to show you the process, there's definitely a lot of checks along the way with with their project manager and, and in our process to to make sure that that, you know, those things are are minimized as much as possible. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you guys are doing a, just a whole lot to make sure it doesn't happen. But then, like you said, eventually the die is cast literally. And that is what it is. See, then you're just trying to play damage control after the fact. So. Let's talk about shipping. So what all do you guys do on the shipping aspect, or is that something that the client or the creator has to come up on their own? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, we definitely can facilitate with shipping. I mean, we're, we're a manufacturer, we're a printer, so our core competency is, is, is making the games, you know, making the donuts, as it were. Yeah. Uh, as far as delivering those donuts, we want to give you options, right? We, we can work with you however you like. So if you have a shipper that you you work with and you have a good uh, relationship with and you want to work that way, then that's great. That shipper can come and pick up the games uh, from our facility and, and take them the rest of the way. That would be called EXW shipping if, if they come and pick them up from us. Uh, if you have a shipper but you that shipper wants to, to pick them up at the port instead of coming directly to our, our facility, uh, that would be FOB shipping. And we can, we can take care of that uh, as well and get those games through Chinese customs and to the port, and then the shipper would pick it up. Or for you know someone who's new to, to doing uh, board game projects and, and new to logistics and, and you know, knows where they want to send the games but doesn't know how to get them there, we can we can uh, put them in touch with a, a shipper that will get it taken care of and, and we'll you know, we'll take care of it on our side with them. Um, and that's, you know, DDP or DDU shipping where we'll package up all the games, get them in a, a container uh, and and hire a shipper to take them through Chinese customs out of the port across the ocean and to wherever they uh, their distributor or their warehouse or their garage or wherever it may be. Um, is from there. So we're very flexible when it comes to shipping. Uh, we want to be helpful. Uh, we're not offended if you have your own shipper and want to use uh, use them. In fact, that's great. That frees us up to do what we do best in in making the games. Um, but we we definitely don't want to leave anybody out in the cold or without options for shipping. So it is it is an arm of of what we do and something we can offer. Yeah. And so if somebody wants to work with you guys for shipping, is that just a separate quote process that they go through? Yeah, it's it's they would just say, hey, we're you know, we're splitting the shipment. Half's going to the UK, half's going to Florida and the US. Here are the addresses that they're going to. We'll work with a shipping company to get the quotes, send them the quotes. And then that that added cost is just put on their final final invoice. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about some limitations maybe that you guys have. Are there any like components or any types of uh, things that would go into a game? One thing I was thinking about the other day was looking at Mystic Veil, which has those really cool clear cards. You know, are there any kind of limitations on things you guys can't currently do at this moment? Um, there's a few there's a few things that we don't do currently uh, that we're looking into, but we still, you know, we still don't feel super, super confident in offering it up yet. Uh, tin boxes are one of those, and, you know, metal boxes for games. Uh, we just, we just haven't, um, found the right situation for that. And, and honestly, we kind of steer people away from them anyway, cause they ding and dent really easily. And, and I don't know if you're OCD with your, your, uh, game shelf like I am, but can never find a good place for them. Um, so, so tin boxes, uh, wooden boxes also, we do some of that, but it's, it's, you know, very much like a, a high end collectors type of thing. So it's, it's very expensive. Right. Uh, 
So those those are things. Uh, wooden dice as well. Uh, we we don't do wooden dice uh, because you know wood is so unique in its its properties that uh, it's very hard to to carve up and and to get uh, consistent as far as a dice goes. You know the the dice that you'll get in, in board games are never like a Vegas dice where they're perfectly right. perfectly weighted for the odds. But uh, you you bring wood into the equation and it gets even even crazier. Yeah. So I, I would say those are kind of three things that that we don't do currently. We're looking at trying to improve, but you know, thankfully those are those are not things that come up that often. Yeah. So you can do the clear cards. We can do. We've done plastic cards yeah. uh, and we've done card sleeves. Yes, that's something I'm working on for a prototype. So I'm just trying to. That's a personal question. Uh, <laughs> hit me, hit me up. We'll talk about it. No doubt. All right. So moving to the next one. What what just makes your your job easier as a printer? Just give me some ideas. We already talked about you know submitting the files in the right format. Any other kind of things that just make your your life easier on the printing side? Uh, yeah. So the the big ones have already hit. Right. Talk talk to your account manager early about your your game and about what that's going to look like. Um, Get those file design guidelines. Uh, get your your files in order. Good. Have you know? Have a clear idea of what you want for the game. Uh, I think there's a lot of situations where, you know, in in board game design, it's it's a creative realm, right? We're dealing with a lot of creative types, um, which is great, and there's a lot of innovation that comes from that. But uh, the downside of that sometimes is it's hard for these creators to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. And then. If they think, okay, well, I want this different color or I want this piece to be a little bit different to, to kind of know when to, to cut off and say, all right, you know, this is, this is what we want is, um, is something that, that would be helpful because, you know, we can only go back and forth so much until, you know, those timelines come into, come into question. Um, and really, you know, we, we love working with people that see us as, as partners in their project. Um, and, and not just a transaction, like we're not just printing the games for them and, and sending them off. And that's that, you know, we, we really want to, we want to be involved. Um, we want to consult with them on the game. Uh, we want to be a big, big part of it. And it's, it's not just a transaction to us. It's, it's, it's bringing out another game that might bring people into the hobby. And that's, that's what we're about. So, you know, to come in with a real, a real cooperative and, and partnership attitude, you know, knowing that, you know, we're in, we're in their court, um, we're helping them out and, and, you know, they want to do the same for us is, is huge. Yeah. Building relationships. That's, that's really what it, what it's about when you get down to the, the core of it. So one thing you just mentioned, you're really talking about being a project manager. So you, you have to go from a, like being a creator, being super in that brain space to all of a sudden being almost an administrator and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is the size. This is the color. And I think that's one thing people need to understand. Just because you've made a board game, you've designed it, you're the creator. Well, now you have to be the project manager to do all this other back end kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I think we've we've seen a, a lot of people that have kind of blazed the trail mm -hmm. uh, for for Kickstarter and, and kind of being those those one man bands. You know, you talk with Ryan Lockett on here, and Ryan is, you know, he's like the Justin Timberlake of of board games, right? You know, he can sing, dance, act, he can draw, design, right. graphic design, He'll walk uh, your dog, run a Kickstarter, the whole thing. Yep. Um, you know, Jamie Stegmeyer's in that, in that same group. So, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing I can tell people is, is, is learn from guys like that and, and, and do your homework and, and be a, be a sponge and soak it up and, and, yeah. and just, um, try to, try to take in as much, 
much information as you can because there's there's a ton of great stuff out there and a lot of people have have taken advantage of it and done great things yeah and also be honest with yourself if there's things you can't do there are very few people in this right. world that can be ryan lockett and do the graphic design the art the designing the whole deal like there's like one in a billion of those people and if that's not you well don't don't fake it till you make it because it ain't going to work out. And so if you have to build in a little bit extra cost to bring in somebody to help you with that, then that's what you got to do. That's the great thing about Kickstarter. You can hopefully build in some, some buffer zone in that stretch, uh, not stretch goal, but in the funding goal to help pay for people to help you on that side of things. So let's talk about stretch goals because that's one thing where people get a lot of, they get messed up a lot. So what's your opinion as far as like how to quote for stretch goals? So I, I you know, I get the quote for the base game, but maybe I really want those extra wooden components or the extra cards or whatever. So what's that process look like uh, for stretch goals? Yeah, this is, this is another reason, you know, why it's, it's better to, to talk with us earlier. Um, you know, I know there's, <laughs> there's way too many instances where someone will reach out to the inbox or reach out to me and say, Hey, Brent, we'd like a quote for this game and we'd like to get our, our stretch goals. And by the way, I'm launching in three days. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just not enough time, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the biggest thing with stretch goals is the way we like to quote those out is to to quote that base game like you were talking about and then maybe have one or two other versions. You know, I, I like to tell people, think of a, a good, better, best okay. version of your game. So we can we can quote out those different tiers and then you can see those price levels at, all right, this is this is the max, this is everything in the deluxe version that I want to make then you can figure out your numbers around that deluxe version. And on the opposite side, you can figure out your numbers on the basic version. And then having those quote, that quote in between, you can talk with your account manager and say, all right, how, how should we break these down to have, have our uh, stretch goals laid out on the, the process? But that gives you a really good framework of, of how to lay those, those stretch goals out. Um, the way that we work on quotes and the way that we um, send our quotes, it's very it's tough to do an individual itemize, this component is this, this component is this, just because the way that we're, we're set up and the way our process is set up. So having those different, you know, two or three different tiers of games and then talking with your account manager specifically about those pieces in each tier uh, is probably the best way to go. Yeah. And in, in other words, know what you're wanting to do early. Like don't be early. three quarters of the way through your campaign. Somebody gives you a good idea and you go, yeah, we should add all these metal coins to the game. Like that's, that's probably not the best idea. That's what you're saying. Right. Right. Or if you want Adam, just talk to us early about it. So you know how much they're going to cost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Be careful with those really good ideas that other people have for your game. That's one mm -hmm. thing I've learned. All right, so let's talk about just kind of some of the cultural things, some of the like Chinese holidays, the things that we wouldn't have any idea about here in the States. What are some of those things that people just need to be aware of that maybe can affect your timeline or, or affect different things uh, from the Chinese standpoint? So, so the holidays are the big one, right? Uh, anybody that has listened to podcasts like yours or, or read blogs or been on BoardGameGeek knows that Chinese New Year is one big unavoidable, you know, Time suck, more or less. I mean, it's a great time for our, our team over in China. They get time off, well-deserved time off, get to be with their family, celebrate the new year. Uh, but from a production standpoint, everything stops. And not just in the board game industry, but everything. The entire country shuts down for two or three weeks for this, this holiday. So nothing's coming in, nothing's going out, the mail, what, whatever it may be. So, you know, planning for, for Chinese New Year and for that shutdown, it always 
kind of varies. I tell my clients just to be sure, like, hey, plan on February, nothing happening. Mm. Just everything slowing down for the entire month of February. So if anything happens, it's a bonus. You know, Chinese National Week, we have a week early in, in October um, that's the same deal. Everything shuts down for a week in October. So if if you're going to be running production anytime, you know, where you're going to be through sometime late January, February or in October, your project manager, wherever you're working, should bring it up to you and, and build it into that timeline. But but that's that's something to always keep keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's something, you know, if you're trying to send out your Kickstarter games to people by a certain date and Chinese New Year falls in there somewhere, that's just something to always keep in mind or, or, or keep in the forefront. That way you, you don't uh, accidentally wait an extra month that really bothers your backers. All right, so any any other thing, any general advice, any questions maybe I haven't asked, anything that, that people just need to know when working with a manufacturer? I, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I always – I always kind of kind of uh, emphasize when I do talks like this is is think about your designs from a manufacturing standpoint uh, and what that game's going to look like on the shelf, what that game's going to look like inside the box, what it's going to consist of. Because like we said, there's for any game you can design it a dozen different ways, and it's easy in the creative process to have this game get bigger and bigger and bigger, and and the scope is larger and larger. Then all of a sudden. You know, you have a game that that's going to cost you twenty dollars to make. Yeah. So, what are you going to have to charge for that uh, retail to make any kind of money on it? So, I think you know, not to stamp out the creative process at all. That's not what I'm talking about. But while you're in that creative process and you are thinking about what that game's going to be, think think about those pieces. Think about think about what it's going to look like from a manufacturing side. And I think you'll you'll see a really uh, a good synergy of, of uh, that product and, and what it's going to turn out to be. Awesome. Well, Brent, man, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate all the insight, all the things. So much of this stuff, I have no idea. A lot of people have no idea. So I really appreciate you, you coming on the show, shedding some light on some things. And, and, you know, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing over at Panda. It seems like you guys are expanding and growing in some really cool ways. And so I'm excited for the for the future. But, hey, right now you and I are going to head over to the bonus round. Uh, we're going to actually talk about things that Panda is capable of but are underutilized. So some things that they're able to do but just game creators aren't doing doing them very much right now. So I'm kind of interested to hear about that. And so if you want to check out the bonus material, you can go over to boardgamedesignlab.com. But, Brent, again, really appreciate your time, and uh, have a good one, man. Hey, Gabe, thank you so much for, for having me on. This has been great. Also, real quick, where can people find you guys online? So you can find us online at uh, pandagm.com. Um, that's our website. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at, at pandagm. And we're also on Facebook. I think if you type in Panda Games Manufacturing, it should, should pop up there. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you've got like a big quote button on, on your website, right, like for front page. Hard to miss it. Yep, yeah. it's right there, top right corner. Awesome. So if you're listening to this want to check out Panda, that is the way to do it. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting? Keep playtesting.